0: I want you to think here this morning a little bit about um, churches and institutions um, that have chosen to name themselves uh, according to biblical names. There are are lots of uh, these churches and institutions. Just wondering if any come to mind, just with a Bible name in them. Ebenezer. Ebenezer, right? Ebenezer means... Yeah, our help. Eben Stone is our help. God is our help. Ebenezer Church, Ebenezer Reformed Church. I think that's where you used to go, right? Good. Uh, what about another name like that? It's a very good example. Just a Bible What? Berean Baptist. Berean Baptist. We'll get to that one, right? How about another one? Christ the, rock. Christ the Rock Church, right? Just Christ is the Rock. Good. Others come to mind. There's lots of them. We could go on a long time today, but just. The what? The Gideons. the Gideons. Yeah, just a, a group that uh, just speak about uh, the Gideons from the Judges, right? Redeemer. Redeemer. Yeah. Redemption. Christ is a Redeemer. Good. Elam. Yeah. Elam. Elam Reform Church where you used to go, or there's Elam Baptist Church people used to go. Um, Another one, huh? Morning Star is a good one. Example, good, right? From uh, I think First Second Peter is where that's named from. It's good. There's lots. Trinity University, Deerfield, is one. Uh, even Masters University in Colorado in California is one, right? The Lord is our Master. There's a King's College. There's a Messiah College. Um, there's a Bethel University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. There is a, a Hope College. In Holland, Michigan, churches oftentimes named Calvary, or Mount Zion, churches often are named of those, or, or Bethany, or, or Grace, or Faith, We I mean, have a faith community church, or something like that. And sometimes these um, meanings are real clear, sometimes like Ebenezer, or Elam, it's not so clear. What's Elam? Bonnie, what's Elam? I hope you know. It's a place of refreshment, right, at the end of Exodus 15, it's the... People went out. My daughter goes to Caris Community Church. Anyone know what that means? It's not carrots. It's Karis Community Church. Grace. Just Caris is a word for grace. And so sometimes they're they're clear, and sometimes they're they're not so clear. Um, but these Bible words often just evoke images in our mind, right? When a Trinity, a Trinity Church, right, Just evokes all of who God is—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It just fills our thoughts. With mines or or Bethel, right? Just we think about uh, you know the place of God, where the house of God, where God dwells, where Abraham building his altar there, or Jacob having a dreams of angels coming down from heaven, the Ark of the Covenant being in Bethel at a time. In fact, I remember we visited a college in uh, Minneapolis called Bethel University, I think, and and it's in Minneapolis, so it's cold, and there is big building, it's all connected together. And uh, so you could live there, you could have you know, your dorms there, never go outside for months at a time if you wanted to. And they called it the Bethel, just this house that, that where, where God would be. Or Calvary evokes all the images of the cross, or grace evokes the gospel. But there's one name, and uh, Michelle, you mentioned it earlier, that evokes just this idea of being a good Bible student. The so name is Berea, right? How many of you have heard the phrase, right, be a good Berean? Right? Almost, almost all of us, right? Berea, Berean means really to be a good Bible student. If you want to be a good Berean, right? Check the scriptures and be a good Berean and see if that's the case. This morning we're going to open up a passage, the passage of scripture, by the way, that shows and brings up that imagery in our mind. So Acts chapter 17. You can turn with me in your Bibles if uh, you want right now. I would encourage you to do that. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 15 of Acts chapter 17, verse 11 is the key verse I'm talking about, right? These Jews were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And In fact, that verse really forms the title of my message this morning, examine the Scriptures daily. I think this is the main point of application for us, anyway, that comes out of the church of Berea, because this is what the church was commended for. And I simply do want to encourage all of you, Rock Valley Bible Church, to be good Bereans, to be good Bible students, to examine the Scriptures daily. Now, before we read our passage, right, we need to put the phrase in context. The past several weeks, we've been following Paul and Silas um, and Timothy as they have been on their missionary adventures. They started there in Antioch of Syria. And uh, Paul and Silas were sent out of that church, and they went north into the region of Galatia. Actually, they went into southern Galatia to visit all the the brothers and see how they were doing. And as they passed through southern Galatia, they picked up Timothy along the way. And at some point, they picked up Luke along the way. They hit Troas there on the Aegean Sea. They received the Macedonian vision to come over to Macedonia. And so they did, and they they crossed over, and they went to Macedonia. That's what that big circle is. Is there, and in Acts chapter 16, we see them coming even into Philippi, was their first stop, where the Lord opened Lydia's heart, and the slave girl was relieved from her demon. It came out of her, and then we saw the Philippian jailer believe in the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of God was working there in Philippi, and then they were cast out of that city, and soon they went to Thessalonica, which we looked at last week, where we saw a great reception of the gospel, then we saw a great rejection of the gospel. And they were cast out of that city. And then they came to Berea, which is, is our text. And in our text, we're going to see the same thing. Some are going to receive the gospel. Some are going to reject the gospel. In fact, it's so strong that Paul is uh, cast out from the city. All right, So as I read from our text this morning, I want you to listen for those in Berea who received the gospel, those who resisted the gospel, and see how they were forced out of Berea. Acts 17, 10 through 15. It says this. The brothers... That would be Paul and Silas and Timothy. Remember, luke we, we've lost Luke. Um, luke was probably back in Philippi is where he, he was because the second never talks about, no longer talks about we, it talks about they, the brothers. These three um, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. I'm sorry, the, the brothers were the ones sending, and Paul and Berea were there. They sent by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him in as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So when we read these verses, I think one of the things that strikes me, ought maybe to strike you as we've been going through Acts for so long, is that there's hardly anything here in this uh, account of Berea that is unique. I mean, nobody in Berea is mentioned by name. There, there are no Lydia's. There are no uh, Philippian jailers. There are no Jason's, right? We don't see specific people. Nothing out of the unordinary really happens here. Um, well, there is an amazing thing here is that people believed, right? But it's, it's nothing actually. We've, we've seen people believe throughout the book of, of Acts. I mean, it seems like every city which Paul visits, he, he goes in the synagogue and he preaches if it's possible there in the synagogue. And some believe his message and, and some don't. And then persecution arises, forces him out of the city. And in fact, that is such the pattern, the visit that, that Paul has, uh, that we, we see here in, in Berea as well. And this morning, I just simply want to, by way of a first point here this morning, just kind of look at, at those, first, those six verses just in the broadest outline as could be. We don't need to really exposit them in, in some ways because this is the, the pattern of ministry. And I can summarize the pattern of Paul's ministry with this. He, he goes to synagogue if possible. And then he receives people. There's a reception there. And then there's a rejection. And then there's persecution. Almost every city we, we see this. We see synagogue. He enters, preaches the gospel. He's received very well. Paul's many come to faith. And then soon after that, there are people who are maybe jealous or for some reason refuse to believe what Paul is saying, and they reject him, they bring a persecution upon him, and soon they cast him out of the city. Right? So if you'd ask Paul, Paul, like, what's your missionary strategy? Like, How, how long are you going to stay in that city? Paul's like, well, I'm going to stay in that city just as long as they keep me, as long as they accept me. When, when they kick me out of town, when they force me to go, I guess I'll leave. But other than that, if he wasn't forced out, he would just stay kind of easy. That's the Spirit of God guiding for sure. And, and so what I want to do is just just catch this pattern of, of Paul's ministry right throughout the book of Acts and just just real briefly just see how over and over and over this has been modeled. And then we'll just read through 10 through 15 and you'll see it just got, sort of fall out in the same way. But in, in Acts chapter 13, you can turn back there, you can follow along with your Bibles if you want to. But here he's um, he's sent out from the church in Antioch in Syria, and he comes to a city in Antioch. Verse 14, he enters the synagogue and he sits down. And verse 15, the rulers of the synagogue ask him if he's got a word of encouragement. And so Paul stands up, preaches a gospel. And initially he received so well. Like look at chapter 13, verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Received so well, they want more. They're begging that these things might be told them. Um, then came the next Sabbath, and Paul's ready to continue his ministry. And even just that seven days later, near the whole town gathered, verse 44, and the Jews, verse 45, saw the crowds they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him and that ended his ministry in the synagogue and soon after if you look at verse 50 the jews incited the devout women of high standing and leading men of the city stirred up persecution against paul and barnabas and drove them out of their district so we see these things right synagogue if possible went to the synagogue he preached many people received a good reception everyone wanted to hear like the whole town came the next sunday and the jews were filled with jealousy they rejected and they persecuted, and they, Sent him out. And after Obsidian Antioch, then he went to Iconium. We see that at the beginning of chapter 14, 14 verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Here, synagogue, is possible, it's possible in Iconium. And we see a great number of people believing. There's the reception. But not everybody believed. We see the rejection beginning of verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding country. And there they preached the gospel. There's rejection, persecution, expulsion from the city. And they went on and they carried on to Lystra, which begins in in verse 8. Now, there was no synagogue in Lystra, so they didn't go there. It was a highly pagan town. You remember when Paul went in there? He simply healed a crippled man, and they began to worship Paul and Barnabas as Zeus and Hermes. And in some regards, the reception was great, but it really was a reception as gods. They misunderstood the gospel, didn't really understand it, but soon they were rejected. And if you look even at verse 19, it's the Jews from Antioch and Iconium are following this troublemaker Paul who's turned the world upside down, is what we learned last week. And they're following him, and they've got to get him out. He's bad news, even to this pagan city. Verse 19, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, he didn't die, but shortly after that, Barnabas and he returned back home, ending their first missionary journey. And the second missionary journey, we see more of the same. The first significant city they go to is... Um, Philippi. You can see that in chapter 16 and verse 13. There was no synagogue, so they went to this place of prayer down by the riverside where there were supposedly be maybe be Jews or people seeking the Lord. Um, and he preached the gospel there. It was received by Lydia in verse 14. But soon afterwards, after casting the demon out of this girl, was cast into to jail. It was the rejection came, and the persecution came where they was in jail. And you remember then there was this earthquake, and, and they. The city rulers realized that they'd whipped them without cause. And so then they asked them to leave. Verse 39. And they came, apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So maybe they weren't kicked out there. But there certainly was some persecution having have been thrown in prison and being asked to leave. They, they went ahead and left. Last week in Thessalonica, we saw the same thing. The synagogue. Yep, sure enough, they entered a synagogue. Verse 1. Received. Sure enough, verse 4 received by a great um a great many that about greeks and not a few of the leading women so men women all were receiving him uh, and, and then they rejected verse five the jews were jealous and they formed a mob And at the threat of harm they left the city because of the persecution and, and so when we come to berea I, I just simply want to read these verses again with this broad outline and so you can see again that there's a synagogue is possible and and reception, rejection, and then persecution. Verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Ding, ding, ding. There's your, your, first, um, your first point, the first pattern. It, in fact, so much so that Paul even says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 2, Paul went in as was his custom on the Sabbath days. He went into the, the synagogue. And so there he was in Berea into the Jewish synagogue and then, verse 11, now these Jews were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And again, women are mentioned here, just like mentioned in Acts chapter 17 and verse 4. You know, just men and women alike were receiving, they were, were believing, there's the reception. And then in verse 13, we see the rejection. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Now, this is the same pattern we saw in Iconium and Lystra, right? Because they came from Antioch and Iconium. And they hear, oh, Paul is there. And they, they so hated the truth that they went to other cities to cast Paul out of those other places. Similar sort of thing here. It's nothing unique. And so they came and were stirring up the crowds. There's a rejection And then 14 and 15, we see the persecution. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. And here was Paul, the chief agitator, leaving town. Silas and Timothy weren't as prominent. They weren't forced to leave town. Uh, Paul was. Now, I say all that just simply to challenge us all and say, this was Paul's ministry. And how well does that match up to your ministry or to our ministry or to my ministry? How does it match up? I think there's no synagogue, obviously, and reception. And I think the biggest thing is, where's the rejection and where is the persecution? Where's the reception even? Right now, certainly in our day and age, things are different. We're not living in days of revival. Like they were in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit was being poured out so freely upon so many and God's Spirit was working. Whenever God's Spirit works so freely, Satan goes into overtime and he seeks to uh, go against that. So we're in a different time. We're not living in days of revival. But could it be perhaps that God's waiting for us? Is he waiting for us to be more active and more intentional with the gospel perhaps? Perhaps. I mean, Paul was very intentional in his pattern of ministry, right? Going to the synagogues and speaking provocative things. Bringing up to these Jewish people how their Messiah has come, how they rejected, they killed their Messiah. And they must believe in Him for eternal life. And, and I simply ask you this, are you that intentional? Am I that intentional? Going places, praying. With a passion that says, you know what, if at all possible, I'm going to speak about Christ. Now, that was a religious setting. You know, a lot of you aren't going to a religious setting someplace where they come and ask you to speak. But you've got your own little crowds, little churches, wherever you are. Are you intentional going there, with Paul was, with the gospel? I mean, here we are halfway through Acts. And um, we've seen this teaching slide up there many times. In fact, I looked up, this is my 62nd sermon on the book of acts so we've seen that up there at least 67 times the theme of acts to be my witnesses these are the words of jesus to his apostles i want you to be my witnesses are you as witness are you as witness over this past year and a half since we've been going through acts how many gospel conversations have you had with people who don't know christ I've tried to. My goal is every week to have a conversation with someone about Christ and, and tell you of those conversations and how poorly they go. That's that's really what I, I try to do. Just something bringing up Jesus. How many of you spoken just even spiritual things to bring them up so people might be interested in asking? Like this is the big application of Acts. This is what we see Paul. He's going through here. This is ministry methodology. This is such his pattern. This is what Paul's calling us to do. How are we doing? We have the best message anyone in the world has. We have the message of Christ crucified. Where you believe and trust in Christ and you are made right with him. Not only today or tomorrow but for eternity. Are we making that known? I just would encourage all of you to, to be praying. To actively seek God open a door for me to speak the gospel of Christ. And may God give us His Spirit, not only to make us bold with the gospel, but may, may God even work to stir others to receive that gospel or reject us with their passion. That'd be okay. Well, let's continue on. We've seen Paul's pattern of ministry. Just want to exhort us there to remember again the, the call of Acts is to be my witnesses. But now return to my second point the pursuit of the scriptures. And for this, I'm just going to focus on verse 11 pursuing the Scriptures. Now, these Jews were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And basically, we see those in Berea pursuing the Scriptures. I I believe this is the application that God would have for us. This is the only thing unique in Berea. In fact, of Berea, the only time Berea is mentioned in the Bible is right here in these verses 10 through 15. And even there, it's just, I see it mentioned once. Is it only written down once? I think it's written down. Maybe it's only written down once for us. Twice? Where's the other time? I see verse 10. Where's the other time? What verse? 13? There you go. Good. Thank you. Twice it's mentioned. You know what? Berea is mentioned one other time in the Bible. Acts chapter 20 and verse 4. There's a man named Sopater. And he's simply called the Berean. He's from Berea. Other than that, the Bible does not mention Berea at all. No biblical references, except from these two times here in this passage, except from Acts 20. In fact, even in all of ancient history, little is made known or made mention of Berea. There's just nothing really significant about Berea. It's a typical town in the ancient world. One commentator described it this way. Berea was a city in the foothills of the Olympian range um, south of the Macedonian Plain, Berea was of little importance historically or politically. It was "quote unquote" off the beaten track. The small, obscure town, not a major highway really going through there. And I think about how appropriate is that for us in Rockford. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, how important is Rockford on the world scale in history? <laughs> I can't. I mean, we got a great bread company. I mean, at least we got that going for us, right? I mean, we aren't we aren't particularly important. We don't have a thriving right uh, uh, ministry. There's no major university, not thriving industry. We're not expecting some financial boom. Oh, we do have symbol. (laughs) We got symbol, right? Right. is pretty good. We got what sock? We got sock monkeys too. Absolutely. We have screws, I think. We're known as a forest city, right? So we're off the beaten track to be sure. Some headquarters. Woodward headquarters, yeah. We got some of that. That's good. But in the grand scheme of things, right, compared to Chicago or Los Angeles or Minneapolis, we're pretty small on the pecking order. But I say what what will you be remembered for? What will Rockford, what will Rock Valley Bible Church be remembered for? I hope and I pray and I preach that verse 11 would be said about us. They were noble. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I would love for that to be our testimony in eternity. They received the word with eagerness. They sought the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I mean, think about it. We're Rock Valley Bible Church. I hope that we're about the Bible around here. Are are you all about the Bible? Really, are you all about the Bible? It's a good thing to be about the Bible. Those in Berea were called noble. Literally, it means that they were well-born. Good-born is the, the, the words that put together there. It means that they're like of nobility. You know, someone who is well-born is like born into nobility, born into wealth and prominence and honor and prestige. That's, that's what the, the meaning of the word sort of means. That's why it's it translated here noble. Um, and those in Berea receive the word, examine the Scriptures daily, behave very honorably. They were noble. It's a good thing to be all about the Bible and pursue the Scriptures. Now, what is surprising here is that those in Berea were more noble in their pursuit of the Scriptures than those in Thessalonica. And what's surprising about that is that Paul's admiration for, his love for, his praise of those in Thessalonica, like, abounds. And and they received the word really well. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. Paul writing later to the Thessalonians, describing how they received the word. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So when he preached the word, the people in Thessalonica received Paul's word as if it was the very words of God. And it began to work in them and to stir in them and to create a, a labor of love and a steadfastness of hope and a perseverance of the Spirit. And Paul would write to them and say, I'm so glad for that. Your your work's evidence, God's election of you. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 And he said, not only that, but he says, you brothers who became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. You received the word. It began its work in you. You were like the other churches who remained steadfast and even suffered. 1 Thessalonians 2.14, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So they received the word so well that they're willing to be persecuted for it. They received it as God's word, accepted it, obeyed it, followed in the ways the other churches suffered persecution. But, but there's, there's something about Berea, though, that was even better than those in Thessalonica. Brought this particular commendation. Now, the Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. You say, why is it that they were more noble there? Well, I think the next phrase explains it. As often it does. Oftentimes you have a question in scripture, just keep reading. They received the word with all eagerness. That was one, but that's kind of like Thessalonica. But second, they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I think that's a big deal what they did. They didn't just receive the words from the mouth of Paul. They tested it according to the scriptures. In other words, right, when Paul spoke to those in Thessalonica, the believers heard him speak and accepted his word as the word of God. Just boom, right there which sounds wonderful and is wonderful, but when it came to Berea, they were commended because they received the word with a healthy skepticism, with maybe a tinge of doubt or or something Got like, think about this. They didn't take Paul's words as truth. Rather, they took his words, compared them with scripture before they determined that Yes, this is gospel truth. And it's when the confirmation came that it matched up with the scripture, that's when they were confirmed by that. See, Paul wasn't their authority, the scriptures were their authority. And I, I think, just like Rock Valley Bible, Church, I'm not the authority. It's the Bible that is the authority. They were commended by that for that. And, I, right, application comes spilling out right here, doesn't it? Right? Especially as I preach. Don't accept anything I say as the truth. Test everything with a healthy skepticism. Then go home. Look at Scriptures, which is your authority. And to the extent that I have just opened up the Bible, then believe me. But only then, believe me. And then believe me with your whole heart and stake your whole life upon it. Because it's not just, oh, the pastor said this. It's, oh, no, I find this in the Word of God. The pastor has merely just explained and opened up. Because in the end, right, it's not my words that have authority. It's God's words that have the authority. Any teaching authority that I have is all derived. It's all secondary from God's Word. Now, over the years, certainly you've seen my pattern of taking text after text after text, reading it, explaining it and applying it, reading it, explaining it, applying it, allowing the the shape of my message to follow after the shape of the sermon, allowing unique things to come out, to keep the main point, the main point, be my witnesses. You've seen that over and over again. So I hope that in many ways you have some confidence of what I, I preach, that it is what the Bible says. But let me give you a little hint of what goes through my mind every single week of my life whenever I stand up here and preach when it comes to preaching, and some of you will know this, this is what I see. So profound, isn't it? <laughs> I got like, wow, I get it all. That's what I see. What is this? It's a line. I call it the line of Scripture. This is the line that represents the truth. And I tire, tirelessly try to stay right on that line. I, I, I try my hardest not to go above the line. That would be to miss the line of Scripture to go to go beyond. I try my hardest not to fall below the line. That is to neglect some aspect of Scripture. I try my hardest every week, every time I stand up here. To hit exactly the line of Scripture. I'm like the courtroom witness who holds up its hands and says, I promise to tell what? The truth. I promise to tell the whole truth. I promise to tell nothing but the truth, right? I, I promise to tell the truth. I promise to stay on the line. I promise to tell the whole truth. I don't come short of a line. And I promise to say nothing but the truth. I'm not going to go beyond the line of what I know. I'm going to be a true witness that stays on the line of witness. Now, there are those that go above the line. These are called legalists. <clears throat> where they would they would hit the line of Scripture, but then go beyond. And, and bring some more things to bear. Adding all sorts of rules and Regulations, right? To be right with God, you need to do this, or you, you need to do that. Right? To really please God, and it's okay to please God, but if you really want to please God, right, you need to stay away from this, and you need to stay away from that. Rules upon rules are added to the Bible, and they often can be with good intent. They often can even be wise. I, I think a good test case of this is like alcohol. Oh, to be a good Christian, you cannot drink alcohol. It's a good thing not to drink. It's a wise thing, perhaps, not to drink. Especially for those who have had alcoholic abuse in their past. Especially those who have struggled with alcohol in the past before coming to Christ. Especially for leaders. You know what? You will never, ever be able to accuse me of drunkenness. Because I don't take a drop. It's wise, right? But that's not the Bible. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink any alcohol. See, the problem with those who do that is they go beyond in legalism. Good intent, and we can do that with lots of different rules. When I preach, I try desperately just to keep the line. Those who fall below the line are are liberals. Now, I don't mean social or or political liberals. I mean religious liberals. I mean those who think growing up like I did in in church that the Bible is inspiring, not inspired. Meaning that the Bible is just going to help us, going to stir us like... Like Shakespeare might stir us and inspire us away. That's what liberals look at. Rather than the word of God is inspired, every bit of it, every word, every jot and tittle is what Jesus said. Not going to fall short of it. Because Jesus said every jot and tittle, it will all be accomplished. Jesus went right to the line. And he says whoever denies any of it will be worst in the kingdom. These are liberals. Right? Right? They feel free because inspiring to like, not believe something in the Bible. I mean, it was written by men, denying inspiration, perhaps. They may say, Yes, I know the Bible says homosexuality is a sin, but like, our times are different. It's okay today. That's falling short of a line. Or maybe saying, um, You know, I know the bodily resurrection is difficult to believe. And I struggle with how exactly it happened as well. So you don't really need to believe the bodily resurrection to be a Christian. It's okay. You just come to church, and I know you got questions. That's, that's like falling below the line. There are those who say, I, I know the Bible requires elders and pastors to be men. Oh, but that was just back when it was a men-dominated society. Like that's falling below the line. It's the path of liberals. When I preach, I so try to keep the line of Scripture. I try to preach every sentence. I try to preach every phrase. I try to preach every word Not neglecting anything. I go straight through books of the Bible so that we don't skip a text. So we don't just like jump over, oh, we're not gonna deal with that, we're gonna deal with that. That's why here's a testimony. Whenever I preach a message that's topical, I struggle immensely. Yes, amen. Do I get an amen to that? I get an amen to that because it's my ideas that, okay, I'm gonna take this topic and really gonna talk about that. And I struggle because it's like it's like me talking. But I know that if I just take the Word of God and put it before you, it's not me talking, it's the Bible talking. And in that, I have great confidence in the Bible. That's why I go through books of the Bible. That's why I try to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And whenever, like, particularly here in Acts, there's been a lot of maybe historical details that we can just try to fill in, I try as much as I can to say, well, it it might be this or perhaps that, or we can envision this or maybe this making it clear when it says it and when we're just trying to fill in what what could be, what's our best guess. I try to do that so that when you go home, you look for the line and you examine the scripture. If I went above the line, if I went below the line, you just wash that away, pray for me. But if I kept the line, then believe what I said and follow the Lord with all your heart in these things. And whenever you're reading the Bible for yourself, And you should read the Bible for yourself. You need to understand where the line is and live appropriately. One of the things that angered Jesus against the Pharisees more than anything else was their legalism. They thought they were so good and they thought they were so religious, keeping all these rules and regulations. And there was a time in Matthew chapter 15 where they were disputing with Jesus about about, he wasn't washing his hands quite the right way. And so... Jesus got in this discussion with them and it summaries bring it all down. Jesus said, Matthew fifteen, verse nine, he says, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So in other words, the precepts of men, right where they go beyond the line, in that little part of the arrow that's above the line, in that little part, those are are, are precepts of men. And they say, we teach those as doctrines. That's what Isaiah prophesied these weeks. And they said, in vain do you worship me. In other words, right, if you're a legalist and you go on and you proclaim the top arrows there as doctrine of what's true, you'll worship God in vain. That's how important it is to keep the line. And Jesus called them hypocrites who are not right with God. And so I just encourage you, right, in your life to understand what the Scripture says and keep the line of scripture. Now, there're many times where it might be wise for you or you choose as a family to go beyond the line. Say like for instance drinking, right? I'm going beyond the line in that instance. I don't I don't have to. I could. I, I don't I choose not to. That's fine. But I understand where the line is. I'm not pushing that on others. I'm not saying that's the right way. And so with many other issues, you might have some convictions in your home, as a family of what you're what you're going to do whether it's how you're going to seek your entertainment, or what standard of movies you're going to watch, or this or that, or how are you going to allocate your giving to the Lord? Like what kind of percentage are you going to give? What kind of percentage are you going to save? What kind of percentage are you going to live on? I mean, just your decisions about life, right? What kind of car are you buy? I mean, there's a lot of scriptures not with that, but understand that you can have some convictions that are above the line, which are for you and for you only. Not for others. The preacher, that's what you got to do. And you have to be very clear where the Scripture sta- starts and where it stops. Lest you come l- too lo- short or lest you go beyond. That's what those in Berea did, right? They pursued the Scriptures. They received the Word of God with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so I, I just ask you this morning, are those two things true of you? First of all, they received the Word with all eagerness. Do you receive the word with all eagerness? And in one regard, that speaks to Sunday morning, right? Do you you long to come and and hear the word of God preached? But I think also it extends, are you zealously, earnestly pursuing the word of God on your own? I mean, today we have so many reasons. You can click on anybody, watch any preacher, listen to any podcast. You can listen to the word. And if you are eager about that, receiving the word with all eagerness you will receive lots of the word right just it's a matter like where your heart wants your heart can get and if your heart wants the world your heart will go after the world but if your heart wants the things of god you'll go after the things of god and you'll be listening so eagerness is one sunday morning here but it's also beyond that like are you are you desiring that peter said in first peter chapter 2 and verse 2 like a newborn babe earnestly long for the milk of the word and you know what babes are like? They're longing for their mother's milk. Just finding that their only satisfaction there. Are you longing for that? Norse was read from Psalm 19 today. This portion wasn't read, but it speaks about how perfect the law of the Lord is. Psalm 19, 7 through 9. How it's wonderful, how it makes wise the simple. How it, it says, more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, that is the, the scriptures. And, and uh, sweeter also the scriptures are than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I'm just talking about desire. Is your desire there? Sunday morning, yes. But outside of church, just longing for it. And that's the place of memory. Working through the fighter verses this year, like I did last year. And I've and, uh, just been working on uh, Deuteronomy 6 four through seven maybe. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children when you walk by the way, when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you rise, something like that. Just God's word on our heart, talking of it. Memory, right? you gotta, you got to have it there. Um, Colossians 3.16, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. When you earnestly desire it, you're going to take it, you're going to read it, it's going to be yours. If you want to be noble birth, if you want to be noble, you're going to be honored, do that. Second, do you examine the scriptures daily? That's what... They did in verse 11. They received the word with all eagerness. There was this this joy and longing to hear the word. But second, there was this examining. There was this studying. This was this testing. Now, for them, of course, it was testing what Paul said. as It was paradigm shifting and shattering. And they're like, whoa, is this really true? It was more like a one-time instance for them in, in some regards. But I think the admonition comes to us really well. Are you examining the scriptures Daily? You read your Bible every day. You know, there's a children's song, right? Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But if you neglect your Bible, forget to pray, what's going to happen? You'll shrink, shrink, shrink. And we learn that. And we sing that. Are we doing it? Did you read your Bible yesterday? What passage did you read yesterday? How about the day before? Friday. Yesterday was Saturday. The day before. Did you read your Bible Friday? How about Monday? Did you read your Bible Monday? How about, let's see, what's today? March March something, March 27th. What about like March 3rd? Did you read your Bible March 3rd? What about january 5th what about march 27th 2021 did you read your bible a year ago today if you read your bible every day do you know what your answer to those questions are yes yes i read the bible yesterday i read my bible the day before i read my bible a week ago i read it a month ago i read it last year because i just read every now there may be circumstances in your life where it's just impossible to have read the bible on that day so maybe you're but with 99% accuracy, you could say, yes, I read my Bible every day. Can you say that? You know, I'm thankful for about a dozen of us, I think, who have committed just to read through the Bible this year together and just have an have a accountability group once a, once a week, just an hour, kind of say, have you read your Bible? Are you caught up on your reading? Have you summarized what you've read? Are you there? And I just know there are people here who have read their Bible every day this year. This would commend to you just the, the practice of just reading the Bible. You don't need to read through the Bible, uh, the whole thing. every. You don't need to do that. But it is a way just to be forced, to be pushed, to say, yes, I've read my Bible daily. These were commended because they examined the Scriptures daily. Now, Paul, I don't think at this point, was going and teaching them daily. He was in the synagogue. Probably if it's like uh, Thessalonica, every Sabbath he was in the synagogue. And so they were getting once a week, but then they were taking that once a week, and they were really looking at the, the Scriptures to see what it said. Every day, kind of examining back and forth. I do commend you the reading through the whole Bible, though, because it says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 17 that all Scripture is inspired by God from Genesis to Revelation, and all of it is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God might be equipped in righteousness. I would encourage you even to maybe pick up that practice of reading through every day. Then maybe we will be Rock Valley Bible Church? Or should we just be Rock Valley Church? Because we don't read our Bibles every day. I mean, we could have named lots of names for our church. We could have named our church Christ Church, or Trinity Church, or Grace Church, or Friends Church. We could have called ourselves the Alpine Church, or the Love's, I like this one, the Love's Park Loving Church. Right? We could have named ourselves that. But we have named ourselves Rock Valley Bible Church because we want to be about the Bible I just encourage you to read your Bible and pray every day. Be like those in Berea who heard the Scriptures preached and tested it to see if it was so. And so you say, okay, what, what is it that Paul preached? What is he preached? And my guess is that he preached his whole the Christ is Jesus sermon. And I say that because Paul was an evangelist. And evangelists have a few sermons in their pocket that they like bring out um what couple of them that they can come out and do some kind of crusade or some kind of uh, meetings or some sort of events and they just keep pulling out the same ones there are maybe a 10 or 15 deep and they know these sermons really well they hardly even need their notes an evangelist is different than a pastor's coming up with fresh things every week all right they're coming the same things and this is his message that he preached to thessalonica look at back chapter 17 Verse two, and Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. There's about the Christ. What's true about the Christ? He's got to suffer. I mean, you guys have this view of Christ. He's going to be this military conqueror. Yes, he's going to be that, but he's going to suffer first. And let's go to these passages. Like I talked to you last week. The passages I talked to you about last week were Zechariah twelve. Isaiah 55, Psalm 22, speaking about the suffering of the Messiah. And he also, this Messiah, has to raise from the dead. In order to rise from the dead, you got to be dead first. So, Psalm 16. And Isaiah 53 speaks about the resurrection. So these were the passages, right? They're going to, preaching the Christ is Jesus. And those then in Berea were going home and were devouring those passages. Could that really be so? And they've spent their weeks in Psalm 16 and we're probably memorizing it and meditating on it. In Isaiah 53 and memorizing it and meditating upon it. In Psalm 22 and we're there daily. Now it's interesting for them to examine the scripture daily. They probably had to go someplace to the scriptures. They had scrolls. Not everybody had their own scrolls in the house. To examine the scripture daily, they're probably going to the synagogues and talking with the rabbis. This is a constant daily for us it's on our phone. My goodness, wherever you are, you can have it read fresh for you every day on your phone. So easy. They had to make such an effort to go to the synagogue, probably that. But I just say this that there's probably nothing of a greater subject for it to be clear in their minds for the Bereans than the, the Christ is Jesus sermon. Because that really is, is the essence of the gospel. Paul said this to those in Corinth, I delivered to you as of first importance. That is primary, that is top, what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. He was buried and He raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then He appeared to Cephas and the Twelve. And then to 500 people and even appeared to me, He rose from the dead, this Christ which had to suffer and die and rise again. Did indeed and so many people saw him risen from the dead and you must believe that to be saved if you confess with your mouth jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved and this is the most crucial thing that they could have looked at to examine to understand for themselves be convinced to themselves it's really a nice transition for us then to the lord's supper isn't it think about the cross think about the gospel about Christ crucified. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. Every Sunday in Lent we're doing that, just every week here to get a flavor of what that's like. So we celebrate ultimately, right, the resurrection. But you think about, what, what, do, we, what, what do we think about when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Jesus, in a unique way, caused us to think about His bread, His body, and His, his blood that's nailed to the cross. It's Poured out and shed for us. And we need to examine the scriptures to see if we really believe these things. And if you really believe them, set your heart entirely upon them. You will not be disappointed. You will not. So let's bow our heads. And as you do, just realize that 1 Corinthians 11 tells us some instructions for celebrating the Lord's Supper. Things like examining yourself i just would encourage you to examine yourself and just have you sought the scriptures daily have you tested them do you know where you can prove that the christ indeed was to suffer and die how jesus indeed and did did indeed die upon the cross how he lived a wonderful perfect life for us and he was the sinless sacrifice which perfectly atoned for all of our sins past present and future in that one sacrifice of Christ where sins are nailed to the cross, clearly what the New Testament teaches us. Do you believe that? Are you trusting that? And the Lord's Supper is a time of, of confessions, why we have in our service in recent weeks just been focusing on, on confession and, and assurance of forgiveness that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. It's how He demonstrated His love towards us. I just encourage you just to examine yourself. Just confess any sin that you need to confess. Seek the Lord's strength to overcome. See if there's something between you and someone else. We might take of this in unity. It's a symbol of what eating is. It's to eat in unity is a demonstrate our unity with others. So, our Father, as we celebrate this supper, I pray you draw us in especially again to remember the the death of Christ for our sins. God, that He bore in His body our sins. There's no greater message for us than that. The, The body that's pierced, the blood that pours out like all the blood of the sacrificial lambs but this blood was was precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless the redeeming perfect blood of the perfect lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world who will be worshiped forever the lamb upon the throne father stir our hearts afresh as we worship not just with words not just in our thoughts, but with taste as well, as we taste the bread and we drink of the cup. God, stir us to to think of you. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the supper. In Jesus' name, amen.